0: Well, we're going to continue our series in the little book of Jude. And uh, if you have your Bibles there, please turn to Jude. And we're going to commence reading it at, at verse 5 and going through to verse 16. Jude, verse 5, verse 16. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as These indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Verse 10 But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain for pay, and they ha- and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love, love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along with by winds, autumn leaves, autumn trees without fruit, and doubly dead, uprooted wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 14, it was about these men that Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And may the Lord add a blessing to his word this morning. Rather a negative and a heavy reading this morning. And, uh, as i 've always said on many on many occasions i've said, I always believe that we need the good news in order to appreciate or in order to hear the bad news in order to appreciate the good news. Well, uh, God willing, the good news and the more positive slant on things will uh, come next week. God willing. But as we look at this rather dire section today, I was reminded of many men in our own day. And one man, I have read bits and pieces of him and actually he even had a book in my library and I put it in the cults section. And this man was named named Stephen Chalk. He's an influential leader in the emergent church movement. He's still around today. And his teaching persuaded and influenced many evangelicals but this man repudiated God's holy character and the substitutionary death of Christ. And he did that by saying in 2013 in a book, if the cross is a personal act of violence perpetrated by God towards humankind, but borne by his son, then it makes a mockery of Jesus' own teaching to love your enemies and to refuse to repay evil with evil. This guy is a scripture twister. In other words, what he's saying here, because God is love, his love would never allow him to punish our sin, your and my sin, with the violent death of his beloved son, Jesus Christ in Calvary. Another leading evangelical that I have come to righteously hate, if you know what I mean, Rob Bell, personally because I know he influenced a few folk who were dear to me, for some years has influenced many others as well by his quirky and clever rhetoric. Said on another occasion, on another significant matter which was really relevant today, he said this in 2013, I am for marriage. I am for fidelity. Sounds good, right? Whether it's a man and a woman a woman and a woman and a man and a man. And I think the ship has sailed. This is the world we're living in and we need to affirm people wherever they are. Crufo Dollar. You would have heard of him. Crufo Dollar. A multi-millionaire. He's got two Rolls Royces parked in his garage. He's got at least three mansions, net worth of 27 million plus. He said, you need to hear about money because you ain't going to have no love, joy and peace until you get some money. He's got a church membership of 30,000 people. People flock to him. I could go on quoting many other statements that highlight the error that is being foisted on the church today by such apostate false teachers. I know that's a double negative, but there you are. And you know all about this kind of stuff. I don't need to quote it to you. You know all about it. You hear of the decay and the spiritual slippery slides that, that many choose and choose to follow after. You know about this, and you probably know people in your own life. And this is the very thing that Jude here in his letter wants to draw believers' attention to. As a matter of fact, it was the whole purpose of his letter. Last week, we saw that Jude stresses the truth, that truth matters. We talked about truth. And he stressed that really, what a Christian believe it really matters. And he showed great concern over the false teaching of some who had crept into the church of his day unnoticed. So this is not about people outside the church. They wouldn't worry about this kind of stuff. This is not about the atheist or whoever. No, no, this is about people who take on the name Christian and get into church circles and foist... What they believe in their error. And so in Jude's day, these guys had crept in and were leading some astray. And Jude wanted the genuine believers to hold fast to the truth of God's word. He wanted them to have sound theology based on the teaching of Jesus and, as we saw, the teaching of the apostles upon what we know as biblical truth. And so his emphasis thus far, Jude's emphasis thus far, has been that truth matters greatly. And it is a Christian's responsibility to care greatly for the purity of the teaching in the church. We saw that Jude's concern was over certain false teachers and that how they were pre-condemned by God uh, and they would crept in unnoticed, and they were abusing God's grace, and they were living it by and living ungodly lives, and they were also denying the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Folks, such activity is widespread in the professing church today. Today is an age of rampant license and what we call anti nominism. It's just a word that describes people who want God without rules, who want God without responsibility, and who want God without obligation. They want to enjoy God's saving grace without the cost of discipleship. They want spirituality without the constraint of any commitment whatsoever. That sort of thing is rampant in the church today. They want to pick and choose their spirituality. Spirituality is a big thing in this day and age, right? It's all right to be spiritual, but with no commitment. They want to choose their spirituality. A little bit from there, a little bit from there. Matter of fact, being a Christian today, sad to say, is often viewed like a smorgasbord restaurant. You know, you create your own meal with whatever you want to put on it. Pile your plate up. Some try to create their own Christianity and in that Christianity they have no rules, no doctrine, no objective truth whatsoever to weigh them down. Well, Jude here is speaking precisely to this kind of thing in this little letter. So changing, as we saw last week, from appealing to believers to defend the faith in verses 3 and 4, he turns to another divinely inspired tactic, can we say. He now puts forward severe warnings to get God's message across. You know, like your parents, you can say one thing, it doesn't work to your kids, but then you warn them, there will be consequences. On most occasions they do listen. But on quite a lot of occasions they don't, and so a good parent will carry out what the parent has warned. The bad parent will just keep warning them and keep warning them. Well, we have a a number of warnings from God. And so what Jude does here is he uses examples from history, from Israel's history, for God's people to learn from. And you will agree with me, it's only a fool who doesn't learn from history, right? Well, Jude understands the lessons learned from history as cited in the verses that we have read This morning, he draws lessons from history showing how how God viewed and judged those who taught false doctrine and those who followed them. And so there are three things that I want you to see that Jude teaches us today. The first one is God will deal with the ungodly even if they are spiritually sincere or not. We see this in verses 5 to 10. A lot of sincere people out there, you know. A lot of sincere people in the church. Maybe you're very sincere in what you believe. But you know what? You can be sincerely wrong in what you believe. It may not stack up with the objective truth of God's word. And no matter how sincere you are, if you also believe in what is wrong and what is error, is you're in a dangerous position. And so what Jude does in this this section is he gives three negative examples of sin and God's respective punishment and then a positive example of godliness and humility. We see that in Michael the archangel. But in using these, these examples, what Jude wants to make clear to believers is that God's grace leads to faith, humility and holiness. I want you to remember that. That that is the kind of the the big picture for believers. God's grace leads to faith, humility, and holiness. In other words, Judah's saying, the person who would genuinely experience God's saving grace, and I hope you all have here this morning, and if you haven't, you need to deal and get down before God and pray that for salvation by His grace. Okay? You need to do that. You need to be serious with the Lord, because He is serious with you. And so what Jude is saying is the person who genuinely experienced God's saving grace will demonstrate that in their lives by godly living and a humble attitude. And we see something of that in Michael the Archangel in our text. You see, Jude at the outset of verse 5 reminds them of things they already knew. He tells them, I know I am preaching to the converted. I'm paraphrasing it here. I know I'm preaching to the converted. You're not ignorant of these things. You've heard them before. You've read them before. But be reminded, be reminded, remember the past. He says that by saying in the text, now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. In other words, Judah's saying, this is not some new teaching I'm bringing you here. You've heard it all before. Jesus spoke of these things. Paul has spoken of these things, especially Peter, because a lot of what we see in Jude is repeated and and exactly the same thing in 2 Peter. So you've heard them from Peter and the other apostles also. They all have been, all, all of these guys have quoted and Jesus himself have quoted these events to illustrate God's truth to you. So what I'm about to say is not new. I'm telling you something you already know and this stands in direct contrast to the false teachers who have crept in among you. Because you know what they're saying? They're saying, hey, I've got something new. Isn't that what we hear today? The false teachers, the errorists, it's always about something new. And they bring in some new fandangled idea or whatever. I've got something new. Well, Jude says... I've got something old to tell you, not something new. I want to tell you the old, old story, which ultimately and culminates in the truth once handed down for the saints, which we saw last week. So he reminds them of their history and accounts in their history where the unchanging God intervened in the affairs of men because of their wickedness. God does that, you know. God does that. Even personally, we need to be very careful as we walk before God because God can intervene. He can say enough is enough and deal with us in a disciplinary manner, whatever that may be. He did that to some of the believers in Corinthian assembly, remember? He killed them. He did it in this day, in history. And so with that, Jude proceeds to give three Old Testament examples of God's judgment against sin. And so Jude does this as a warning. It's against those who falsely profess the faith. It's against those who who change the content of the gospel. It's against those who reject apostolic truth. It's against those who use the grace of God as an excuse for moral living. This is what he does here. And the first example is centered on God's saving a people, Israel, out of Egypt. And you all here know of the great story of the Exodus. The world, even in general, will have some idea. I've seen movies of the Exodus where Moses leads out God's people. And so this vivid illustration of redemption and how the unchanging God loved his people and led them through the wilderness by his mighty hand, by his power. But this whole story about the Exodus was also a stern reminder of God's judgment. Now, when we think of the judgment during Exodus, we can think of the poor old Egyptians. They got sorely smacked around, right? They sure did. But this judgment is not only here about the Egyptians who held Israel in bondage, but also on those Israelites who faithlessly turned away from God. So what was their sin? Their sin was unbelief. It was because of unbelief They died. It was because of their unbelief that God killed them in the wilderness before they reached the promised land. Though these people, can we say, tasted the goodness of God, and they did, they tasted the goodness of God, Uh, they sheltered under the blood when the blood was put on the doorpost and, and they led them out, so they tasted the goodness of God. But when times got tough, they turned away in unbelief. We have lots of illustrations of that in the scriptures. This was the reason he destroyed those who did not believe. Although the people of Jude's day and and we today, we know this historic happening well, it needs to be a powerful reminder of God's unchanging attitude toward anyone who corrupts his word or even rejects the truth of it, ignores it. Then the second example Jude points to is that of the fallen angels in verse 6. Now these angels are not specifically identified, but look at how they are described. We see there that they did not keep their own domain and they abandoned their proper abode. You see that? I believe that these angels most likely are the same as the ones mentioned in Genesis 6, which Peter also speaks of in 2 Peter 2.4. I'm not going to be dogmatic on that, but that's my personal opinion. Whatever they are, they are angels who did not keep their own domain and they abandoned their proper abode. They were the bad dudes. They were evil angels, sinful angels. And whoever these wicked angels were, What they did, they sought a position and a place outside of what God had given them. They weren't satisfied. They rebelled against authority and they promoted themselves to a place where it was never ever designed for them. So what was their sin? Pride and arrogance. Many in Israel their sin was unbelief and here we have these wicked angels their sin was pride and arrogance and so just as Satan sought to be exalted to a position designed for him these angels followed him they did the same therefore what is their result? They are bound by God for eternal judgment. Then Jude mentions the third negative example of Sodom and Gomorrah we see this in verse 7. Now these cities are known by God and and men and uh, for their immoral and sexual perver- perversity, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah that was the uh, Sodom was a place that Lot chose right and uh, and because of that, there were consequences for his family and his wife, dire consequences and so the hideous sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was actually so abhor- abhorred by God. He rained fire and brimstone down from heaven, and you'll remember that story. And Jude says this was a picture of God's judgment upon all those who live immoral lives. So what was their sin? So we had unbelief, we have pride and arrogance. What was their sin? Immorality, sexual immorality in particular. And so please note that Jude has given us three examples from the Old Testament of sin that has drawn God's judgment. One of unbelief, one of pride, and one of immorality. And then he says in verse 8, in the same way, it's a good transition That in the same way, it's a transition that we know that he's speaking of what he said before, and now he's about to explain, in the same way, as these Old Testament examples, yet in the same manner these men also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revide, revile angelic majesties. You see, when he says these men, he's obviously speaking of the error, the false teachers that are crept then unnoticed into the assembly. And we can actually infer that anyone who treats error and is, is a false teacher amongst God's people, we can put them in that lot as well. One of the other things that they were noted for is that they put confidence in their puny dreams and visions rather than than in the Word of God. They refused to accept and believe the all sufficient Word. But look at what Jude says Jude says, look at what happens as a result of what they teach. Look at what they do, they defile the flesh. That is, their teaching leads to or promotes immorality. Just like those immoral people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Secondly, they reject authority, just like the fallen angels reject the authority of God and left the place that God designated for them, so they were judged. And what else? They revile angelic majesties, the good ones or the bad ones. They revile them. In other words... These guys speak flippantly and casually about unseen powers they know little about. They know little about. I was asked recently if I was experienced in the deliverance ministry of demonic powers. My answer very quickly was no, I'm not. But I know there is someone who can if he wills, and that's the Lord. So I leave that to the Lord. But I can pray. I can pray. After all, that's what Jesus told his disciples on such an occasion, on Mark eight, right. In other words, how dare I delve into areas that are beyond my role? My sphere, if you want to put it that way. Well, these false prophets had, had no qualms about delving and they, into such areas and they, and they used it to give themselves more status with their congregations. And with all these examples that we've read, Jude is saying this is exactly how these false teachers, apostates, are who have crept in unnoticed. You see, he's setting up his congregation to be able to see that by their fruits, you shall know them. How true that is, folks. We have people today who, under the facade of being servants of God, have proven to be nothing other than unbelievers, prideful, and a You can start ticking them off if you do a little bit of research. Unbelievers seen and turning away from the faith once handed down to the saints. I've already cited a few right at the beginning of the message. Immoral, often seen in the promiscuous relationship. How many times have we seen church leaders and people in the church walk away from the faith and right in the middle of all that has been a promiscuous, immoral relationship? It happens over and over and over again. And prideful because of their delving into the unknown where they consider their dreams and visions more important than the word of God. And many of these false teachers, I might say, are seen by their multi million dollar positions and their self appointed positions. And then in Jude 9, or verse 9, what Jude does there is he contrasts the unbelieving, immoral, and prideful actions with Michael the archangel. Michael the Archangel. Listen to what he says about the false prophets and then listen to what he says about Michael. He says, Michael the Archangel, when he disputed with the devil, argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Got that? He did not dare. Michael the Archangel. He did not dare. This archangel knew his place he was a servant of the lord and he had powers divine powers that you and i have not got any within cue of it and michael the archangel knew his place but these men verse 10 it says these men revile the things which they do not understand these dreamers these visionaries these prophets were claiming to teach new things and in the process were promoting nothing of god's truth but purely that of gut and fleshly instinct. In other words, if it feels good, do it. That's what they're promoting. They were rejecting authority, certainly Jude's authority in the day. They were rejecting his authority. And whoever else was had spiritual authority in the assembly or the congregation that Jude was writing to, they were rejecting that authority and they were claiming to have such spiritual powers that they, were, they could so-called berate angelic majesties, celestial spirits. They could just talk, they said, and cut them down and put them in their place. That's what they kind of thought that they could do. Jude is saying these men revile angelic majesties. But what did Michael the archangel, who knew these celestial spirits, do? What did he do? In his humility he did not dare presume upon his own divine power. Now, he didn't have the power that God does. He was a servant of God. He was subservient to God, but he had limited divine power. He did not dare presume upon that. He didn't speak down on them. He said, the Lord rebuke you. The point is, as I said at the outset, God's grace, folks, God's grace produces trust and humility and holiness. And the lives of these false teachers or any false teacher does not show that. Most likely all you will see is unbelief, pride and immorality. And that shows us that they're teaching and these teachers are not from God. And Judas telling us here and his readers, why? So that we can be discerning about those who teach in the assembly, against those who stand in this pulpit, and about those whom we listen to or turn on with a flick of a channel or read, even though you get the book from Korol. You see, there are many who claim to be Christian and faithful teachers of the Bible, you know what, who do not know God. So how do we know them? By their fruit, you will know them. So be very careful about rushing in as soon as you hear a great statement from someone, oh, he must be all right. Just because even, can I say, just because you hear Donald Trump saying, he's a pro-lifer and he's for the unborn, etc., etc., don't rush in and say, oh, wow, this guy must be a Christian. So I heard a bit of a quirky statement during the week. So many people were set out to prove and to and to and to say that Obama was a Muslim. He said the same people now set out to improve that Donald Trump is a Christian. <laughs> so how will you know them by the fruit you will know them. But Jude also tells us that this can so that we can examine ourselves, right? So that we can examine ourselves in order to to recognize what grace produces, what God's grace produces. It produces faith and humility and holiness. And so let us look at ourselves this morning. Just question our own lives, examine our own hearts personally, where we sit. Is that the fruit that is being produced and evident in my life right now? Am I growing in these things? Have you received and you know anything about God's saving grace? That's the first thing. Where you've received forgiveness and, 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 and trusted Jesus Christ as Saviour and He saves you. That's the first thing. That's the first step. But it doesn't stop there. Because if that is genuine, faith and humility and holiness will be the fruit. And if that's not the fruit, there's something fundamentally wrong with the first step. Maybe it's not genuine at all. Second point, false teachers can be identified by their character, attitudes and actions. We see this in verses 11 to 13. And so what Jude teaches us here in these verses is very simple. A person's life shows what's in their hearts. So we don't necessarily look at the external now and the fruits, but we look at what's in a person's heart. And Jude tells us that the apostate teachers that infiltrate the church can be identified by their character, their attitude and their actions. And he uses nine illustrations over the course of these three verses, small verses, to describe these false teachers. Graphic ones, they're quick ones, they're like a a machine gun, boom, 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 boom. And so first of all he says that they've gone in the way of Cain, Balaam and Korah, three guys that any reasonable Bible-believing Christian should know about. And if you don't, let me remind you about Cain. He was that unloving and unfaithful, jealous man who rose up and killed his own brother, who was more righteous than him. We read about that in Genesis 4, right at the beginning of the Bible. Cain. And so Judas is saying, like Cain, these false teachers have slandered or killed by their words those who are more righteous than themselves. That's what he's saying. Then he moves on and he says, they're also like Balaam the prophet. Remember Balaam? He was hired by the enemy to prophesy against Israel and curse God's people, Israel. And so in this, Judas telling us there are men in the ministry in it for the bucks alone. They're in it for what it pays, for what... Eloquent, flashy, whatever you like to call them, can squeeze out of the congregations. Namely, I've said this morning, a guy with 30,000. You've got to be careful of Joseph Prince too. He's another guy in the Philippines. I think he's got 30,000 in his congregation as well. Gullible people. Just fork out the bucks. Pork out the bucks. Go and look on the internet. See what their net worth is. You'll be staggered. Absolutely staggered. These guys will preach feel good messages. They'll preach ear tickling messages. They'll teach about health, wealth, and prosperity as long as the dollars keep rolling in and filling their pockets. Of course, this is always a good way to discern the true from the false, right? So be wary of people, especially celebrity preachers, who ask for money in the name of the gospel because they're probably hucksters and charlatans in it so they can fill their pockets. And thirdly, another infamous prophet is named Korah. You remember him, Numbers chapter 16? Korah is the guy who rebelled against Moses and Aaron's authority, and there was 250 others who kind of went with him. You know, these guys always never go alone. They always are out to get a following. They are always out to get a following. And Korah was one, and he got a following of 250 others inside the camp of Israel. They tasted the goodness of God, and they rebelled against Moses' authority. And you know what? God judged them by burying him and his family alive in an open mass grave, and he sent fire down from heaven and consumed the 250. Don't mess with God. He's for real. Then Jude leaves off giving examples of and then he explodes into these what I call six graphic metaphors. We see this in verses 12 to 13. Just to make sure we understand how fake these dudes really are. When I say these dudes, I mean these guys who, who put on a book front and, and many of us are gullible and can be taken in and sucked in by their teaching. He calls them stains or hidden rocks in your love feasts. In other words, they inject impurity into the life of the church. They're a danger to the undiscerning. They're, like they're like a rock in the sea just submerged in the surface. And when a ship comes along, it tears its bottom right out of it. It's dangerous. They're shepherds who feed themselves. Or care for themselves. That word care there in the Greek has the idea of shepherding. So the the shepherds who are in it for number one. And you are right at the bottom of their list. They're empty clouds. They're empty clouds. Like those we find you know, we I think we had quite a few of them floating over in Adelaide in the last few days. Empty clouds. They look promising, but rain never came. In other words, these guys are all show and no-do. They're trees without fruit. They're trees without fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is not in their lives. But bit like my peach tree. It's got heaps and leaves. It's a, it's a beautiful, glossy tree. But the fruit is a lot to be desired. It's useless. They're raging waves of the sea. You know, we've often seen after a storm, you go down to Adelaide beaches and what do you see? You see mountains of seagrass. It's disgusting. You don't want to go on the beach. And it smells and it stinks after oh, a while. Phil's laughing over here. He knows what I'm talking about. Well, that's what these men are like. They're raging waves of the sea. They spit out the dirt and the filth and the rubbish of sinful mankind, and they gleefully expose it to the light, and they make fun and glory in the shame of it. And then they're wandering stars. The idea is a shooting star. We've all seen shooting stars, right? A shooting star is one that Oh, wow, look at that. It's a blaze of glory. It may even have a tail or whatever. And then it's gone into oblivion and blackness. That's what these guys are like. And so the whole point of these graphic images is to show that the life lived always corresponds to the nature of a heart. In other words, as a man thinketh, so is he. Well, Jude is just saying here, a life shows the heart of any person. And that's the same case with any false prophet. And finally, and third point, God reserves dreadful judgment for all the ungodly in verses 14 and 16. In other words, he says that there is judgment to come. God's judgment of sinners is almost an embarrassing subject to be spoken of in churches today, dare I say. That wasn't the case once upon a time, but it is more and more nowadays. Even in churches today, and I say even some evangelical churches, it's deemed insensitive and unloving to speak of the realities of such things. Yet the scriptures are very clear, as it states here, the most dire punishment is reserved for those who are ungodly. And by ungodly, it means those who do not personally know God, by God's grace through faith. That's what it speaks about, ungodly. As sincere as that person may or may not be. And so he's telling us about the certainty of the Lord's judgment upon the false prophet and the ungodly and all those who follow them. So let us make no mistake, folks. Divine punishment is reserved for the ungodly. It is. This was prophesied by Enoch. It was prophesied by Enoch. Now this Enoch here was taken from the First Enoch, it's a book, it's a actual book. It's a, it's a non-canonical book, it's not part of our scriptures, not part of the inspired word, uh, but it was very um, well known amongst the first century Jews. They were very familiar with it. It was basically a record of the history of Israel that was passed down orally, and in that first century it was compiled into a book, and they called it First Enoch, as there were other pesadographical books written in that time the catholic bible will have these as part of the canon some of them but we don't we don't believe that they are part of the of the canon and so jude quotes from the source and that's okay paul quoted from a a source that was outside the canon too in his writings and so but inspired by the spirit of god jude quotes from the source and he states that there it, there is a universal judgment to come and god is going to bring to account every evil deed. Every evil deed. And so how does he characterise these false teachers? Well, you will see at the beginning of verse 16, what does it say? They are grumblers, fault finders, following, following after their own lusts. They uh, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But God is going to judge them, he says.
1: Isn't it interesting
0: that the very... Thing that Jude says is what the false teachers deny that God is going to judge all the ungodly. Christian Universalism teaches, which is very prevalent in the Christian church, Christian Universalism teaches that an eternal hell does not exist. Or he quoted Rob Bell, he said in his book Love Wins in 2011. He says that there will be no such thing as an eternal hell for the ungodly. All will be saved. And Judah's saying, oh no, that is false. God will judge the ungodly and he will set things aright. I know who I'm going to trust. Well, this has been pretty heavy today, hasn't it? So let's wrap this up. It's been pretty heavy. The subject... But how we need to believe the truth, right? How we need to believe the truth. Pete was speaking about subjectivity versus objectivity. The objective truth is that one day we will stand before Jesus Christ. That's the objective truth. And he is beautiful. He is wonderful. He is the mighty God so many people are led by subjective truth. In other words, I believe or I think that this is how it's going to go down. Or I think this is how it is. Well, God is going to set things aright, And how we need to believe the truth. Once for all, handed down to the saints. As we have read in verse 4 of this book. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 10 to 13. And then... Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Awesome text. Jesus was right on cue. How we can put that in our day and age. So let's be discerning who and what we tune into and read and hear. And remember, God's saving grace always produces faith, humility and holiness. Do you have the faith right at the outset? Are you growing in your humility? And what about your practical holiness? Are you knowing what to put on and put off? After all, the true test of genuine faith is it's not how we we start that counts, it's how we finish, right? May God add a blessing to his word this morning. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for the serious, almost numbing message from your word this morning about judgment and sin and how we can be sucked in by it and taken in by but lord help us understand that your truth matters and we thank you that you have preserved your word your truth right down to this very age and day and age and for us to read we have it in our own language so lord give us a greater love for your truth wean us off from listening to men alone who may be wrong or may be right help us to discern what is right and wrong according to your word And Father, we pray that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. We look for the day when you will appear, where everyone will stand before you, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Father, we thank you for our text and we thank you for your word and thank you for the warnings and we thank you that we can be Uh, caught up in your marvellous grace and help us to grow in humility and holiness. Lord, help our unbelief. And so, Father, we give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.